Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being a great show today. And by the way, the great show is dependent on uh, how many great calls we get. <laughs> so we, we had a show with great calls today. The less of me, the more calls, the better the show. And today was a wonderful show. So thank you. Thank you to all the callers. Um, so we kicked off the show talking a little bit about immigration. And then we went into U.S. Steel. And then we had a million calls on U.S. Steel. So it's worth listening to the callers on the SiriusXM app. Thank you be a subscriber over there. Uh, we just want to give you the beginnings of this story just so you can see how it started, how it all percolated, and then tied together with some wonderful phone calls as well. So U.S. Steel bought by a Japanese company. This good or bad? We talked about it this morning. Arizona bill. I was that ten years ago. Ten AB ten seventy. Man, people freaked out over that. And I don't know if it's just because uh, the governor signed this kind of around Christmas or something. Media sort of checked out early. Something. This hasn't gotten as much total freak out as I would have anticipated it to get. Obviously, the left is against it, but AB ten seventy was like crazy. Like like pre Donald Trump. Oh, like, I can't believe the Arizona horrible race, that whole thing. I haven't gotten that quite out of Texas here. Um, now, granted, it's a different bill. They, Texas will not be asking for Hispanic people for their papers on the street. People who look Hispanic don't have to worry about being stopped, arrested by police officers. It's nothing like that. If a police officer sees someone breaking the law, if there's reasonable suspicion that someone climbed over that fence over there <laughs> between America and Texas, then uh, they can be arrested by police. And they're given a choice. This is what the, this is what the state sponsored the bill. We talked to a couple weeks ago. They're given a choice. And the choice is either you will be charged with a crime. They go in front of a magistrate, so like a specific judge, I think, just for this, right? And... Uh, You'll be charged with a crime that gets, I think he said, a 20-year prison sentence. So either you're going to jail for 20 years or we will drop you back off at the border. But here's the thing, the other side of the border. So that's your choice. We got you. You lose. 20 years in prison, door number one, door number two, you go back to Mexico. What do you want? Now, right now, if you get caught, you're given a court date. There's two guys in San Diego who were caught seeking asylum, and they run to the border agents. But that's when years ago when things were really screwed up is when these illegal immigrants started running to the the border agents. And they were given a court date uh, asylum hearing on uh, May 8th, excuse me, May 11th, 2028. So we catch them give them the asylum date, and then we drop them off on our side of the border. In San Diego, there's a trolley station right right on the border there, the San Isidro trolley station. They drop them off on our, <laughs> our side. What? So our airports or our bus stations, everything's on our side of the border. That's crazy. So Texas, they say, no, nice try. We're dropping you off on the other side of the border. You can try again if you want, but 
We're just going to keep catching you. And there's really not a lot. There's not a huge cost to this for Texas because I, I don't think many of them will choose 20 years of prison. So you're right. So it'll be pretty quick uh, a loop around, send them back across. And uh, I think that's great. Shame that Texas has to do it, but I'm glad Texas is. Yesterday, we talked to Neil Monroe, who's the, the chief immigration. There's so many great immigration reporters here, of course, at Breitbart.com, one of the places where we shine the most. And Neil Monroe was talking. He mentioned just kind of in passing. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what is this? A safe mobility office. Have you heard of this before? The safe mobility offices. You should you like red flags should be all over the place when you hear that. that is such Orwellian. Like what? What do you mean safe mobility office? There's a hundred of these places. They're processing centers in other countries that are built to support vulnerable migrants. And I think, well, hold on, don't we already have embassies? Like, if you want to seek asylum here in America, you go to an embassy. No, no, these are different. Now, what are they exactly? No one knows. I got this from a pro-illegal immigration site. When Neil was talking about this, I was like, this, this, you must be mistaken. <laughs> this is too crazy. What are you talking about? So I found a pro-illegal immigration site. In the first months of the initiative, which is still only a couple months old, much remains unclear about the office's operational realities. It's not a great sign, but at least on paper, they appear to have a dual purpose. Number one, as sites to identify and refer refugees from within the Western Hemisphere for potential resettlement in the U.S., why would we go out of our way in other countries to find refugees to send here? And uh, number two, as an on-the-ground location to try to deter irregular migration to the United States-Mexico border by sharing credible, credible information about the U.S. immigration system. Here's the thing, though. That, that sounds like it's done to prevent people from coming into America, but that's not it. This is Mayorkas. This is the head of Homeland Security, the guy who started this program. These are places where we feel a humanitarian as well as a security imperative to meet people where they are. Why are we meeting people where they are? Shouldn't we be pushing people back from here? I don't know. Well, I don't need to meet anyone anywhere. To cut the smugglers out and to provide them with a safe and orderly way to arrive to the United States if they qualify for relief. So cut the smugglers out. I don't want to cut the smugglers out. I want no one else to come. Or you know, like it's not like the, 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 our government is saying, we need to cut those smugglers out. So let's just do the smuggling ourselves. One of the arguments that conservatives used against illegal immigration was, hey, it's horrible. These, these coyotes, it's uh, they're, they're, raping the women, these people are paying a ton of money, these coyotes, they, uh, they get here to America and they're basically slaves because they got to pay back. It's a horrible system. And the left heard that. And they said, yeah, you know what, that is bad. So we're just going to smuggle people in ourselves. We're going we're gonna to go to Guatemala and just, we'll be the smugglers. The U.S. government, is like, oh, we're like, oh, no, no, that's not what we meant. We meant we don't want any more illegal immigrants. Not like our conclusion is no more illegal immigration. Their conclusion was we'll just smuggle ourselves. And then Mallorca says, if they qualify for relief, well, what does that mean? That's the question. That's the big question. We know that no one, and I'm not exaggerating, literally no one 
coming across today, the 9 million or whatever the number is over the last few years, who have come across seeking for asylum actually qualifies for asylum. None of them, not one. There's five reasons why you can be granted asylum. It's if you're persecuted in your home country based off of your race. No one in Ecuador is persecuted because of their race. Your race, your religion, your nationality, social group, or political opinion. And political opinion is not like, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. It, political opinion is like, um, uh, if you're in Iran and you're uh, you're against the Shah, they're going to kill you. Or you're, you're against the, you're against the, uh, the, not Shah, the leader of Iran, Ayatollah, and they're going to kill you. That, that's, that's what that is. It's not just, I have a different opinion than them. I, I, agree, I have different policy, but it's not that. So they're going to kill you because they consider you a terrorist. So those are the reasons why you can come and seek asylum, why you'll be granted asylum here. Race, if you're persecuted because of your race, religion, nationality, social group, or political opinion. Crime is not a reason to be granted asylum. Poverty is not a reason to be granted asylum. Wanting a better life is not a reason. Wanting a better job is not a reason. I have four kids is not a reason to get asylum. None of those are legal reasons for asylum. There's only five, and not a single judge in this country would give someone asylum because they live in poverty. But this doesn't even matter because none of those people are ever even going to go to their hearings at all anyway. So the question is, will these processing centers in other countries say that people qualify for relief? That's what Mallorca said. Well, you know, we'll help them come here. We'll, we'll, we'll streamline the process if they qualify for relief. What do you mean if they qualify for relief? What does that mean? Because none of these current people who are here qualify for relief. And we all know they don't qualify for relief. And when they finally go to their hearings in 2028, they will know once and for all that they don't qualify for relief. But we know they don't already. So why are we going to help people come over now when we know they also don't qualify for leave? So they're going to be, I, I'm certain they're going to be just ushering people in from the third world um, right into America and then give them an asylum hearing <laughs> here again. I doubt they'll be making them stay in Mexico or Guatemala until that hearing. They'll come here for the hearing. We will see. And then also I guarantee you that they won't, they won't, it, it, as these, uh, what are they called again? I had to write it down because I've never even heard this before. Safe mobility offices. As they, they, they get these things more off the ground and running, I, I bet they won't count the people as uh, illegal immigrants. They won't, they won't count them as illegal immigrants because they were processed legally through a safe mobility center. So they don't count as an illegal immigrant in some way. So, oh, look, the numbers of illegal immigrants are coming down. It's like, yeah, but the same number of people are coming across, if not more. All right, we talked, about Neil, we talked to Neil Monroe yesterday. That's on uh, SiriusXM podcast. You can hear that. All right, I want to talk about U.S. Steel here for a few minutes. Have you heard this story? And we'll take some phone calls on this, too. So happy to take your phone calls on that topic too. But I want to present a little bit on U.S. Steel right here. Have you heard U.S. Steel, which was once the world's largest corporation, has been bought by a Japanese company, Nippon 
Steel. Isn't that amazing? U.S. Steel. By the way, the company that, and this is how Breitbart.com was sure to make this point, uh, U.S. Steel was one of the reasons, part of the arsenal of democracy, which is one of the reasons why we uh, were able to defeat Japan in World War II. They're now owned by Japan. So Japan's largest steelmaker bought U.S. Steel for $14 billion. So my first thought was, man, what a shame. Let's be honest. I, I'm not, I haven't even thought about the economics of it yet. My, my first thought, my brain is like, wow, that's, that, that's, I don't know. I don't like that. U, U, U.S. Steel started by Carnegie and Chase and Charles Schwab. I mean, like, like, the, like the big American names 122 years ago, U.S. Steel was started. And now it's owned by another country. It's one thing to have Bud Light. It's one thing to have Anheuser-Busch, another great American company, owned by uh, a Belgian conglomerate. There's no national security implications there. But to have U.S. Steel owned by another country? But then I, get, then I got into the national security reasons. I was like, hold on, can that even be allowed? Can you have our, our major steel company owned by Japan? Now, we're friends with Japan. We'll talk about that in a minute, though. But still, uh, the CEO of U.S. Steel, who sold it. He said, today's announcement also benefits the United States, which, like, the fact that he had to state how he thinks it does is proof that they're like, hmm, I think people are going to realize this actually doesn't, clearly doesn't benefit the United States. But he's like, no, no, it does. It also benefits the United States, ensuring a competitive domestic steel industry while strengthening our presence globally. So they're going to keep the name for now and still be headquartered in Pittsburgh, I guess. I mean, they're really headquartered in Tokyo, I suppose, right? But or wherever they are in Japan. Uh, the U.S. Steel Workers Union vowed to support only an office uh, and an um, offer from another American steel company. Cleveland Cliffs was an American steel company that gave an offer, but it was 40% less than what Japan offered. And Japan's offer was all cash. So the union has 11,000 members. They don't like the deal, even though it's a huge deal. He said to say, the, the, the union said, to say we're disappointed in the announced deal between U.S. Steel and Nippon is an understatement, as it demonstrates the same greedy, short-sighted attitude that has guided U.S. Steel for far too long. We remained open throughout this process to working with U.S. Steel to keep this iconic American company domestically owned and operated. But instead, it chose to push aside the concerns of its dedicated workforce and sell to a foreign-owned company. Yeah, I don't like it. And I got my first, I don't even know why I don't like it. It just seems like a really bad idea. And I know they're our ally, but who knows how long that will be the case. It's been a company for 122 years. and 122 more years, is Japan still going to be our ally? Or who knows what China will one day do to control Japan and circle to, you know, China and Japan, Hate, hate each other. You, you think we're a racist country? My goodness, the hatred between the Japanese and the Chinese. And we know China's territorial ambition. So let's say China is able to uh, encircle Japan, close down Japan, shut down Japan. Well, now they control our steel company. I mean, I, I don't know. Who knows what will happen in the next hundred years? Is it wise 
to give control of our steel to any other country, even one we like. So a steel fact here that I did not realize. What country do we get most of our steel? Our steel imports. Where do we get it from? I think most people would guess China. And there's different kinds of steel, but we'll just speak generally here. The country that we get the most steel is from Canada. We get our most, most of our steel from Canada. Most of our steel imports come from Canada. Then South Korea. Then Mexico. Then the Netherlands. And Germany. And we get some from Spain. And China is actually 11th on the list of where we get most of our steel. So if you look at the situation now, most of our steel that we, we import comes from our allies. So that's good. But I don't know if we need to be outsourcing our steel companies. Now, let me make one more point, then we'll take your phone calls. Uh, old libertarian Mike would have said, let the free market work. I'd say the steel industry has benefited from many tariffs over the years. And Japan will clearly run a better operation and will result in lower priced steel for the buyers of the steel, which means higher wages and more productivity down the line. Hurrah! But not to sound like a socialist, but I'm, I'm moving away from that conclusion. There are things that capitalism doesn't consider at first. Oh, that sounds, I sound like a, I sound like a Marxist. There are things that capitalism may not consider on the front end. I'll give an example. There's a new app. I don't know what it's called. Let me look up what it's called real quick. And it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's your, it's your own AI girlfriend. You have a digital AI girlfriend. It's called uh, Digi. D i g i Digi. And it's this cartoon. It's like a, uh, like a, like a Pixar-looking cartoon, but they made it all sexy. And the girl, this fake girl, tells you how amazing you are and how wonderful you are, and it's going to destroy the souls of so many boys and young men. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And the people who made it, who made this app, are going to make a billion dollars. There's absolutely no question that they are going to be the money will be flowing into their bank account. It'd be unbelievable how much money they're going to make from this. And someone made the comment that this is one thing I hate about capitalism. We all know that this is not going to be a net societal good. But because of the incessant demands for profit expansion and the need for new ROI, this is invented regardless. There's no question that this app will be horrible for this country and for our society and for this culture. But it doesn't matter. It'll be great for our GDP. And to bring it back to immigration, this is why we have illegal immigration. Neil Monroe did a wonderful job talking about this the other day because I was asking I asked him, and I remember I asked, what did we ask before? I forget what it was. Why this illegal immigration is so supported and it's people on the left and the right. The left likes it for their political reasons and the people, many people on the right like it because it's good for business. It's good for the GDP. More people. More people means more hamburgers sold. And more apartments rented. And lower wages. And more money. More GDP. 
Our, our nation's collective GDP goes up. Now, GDP per person may go down, but our collective GDP is up. Hurrah! And it's like, well, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. But is it good? Is it good? And I, I, don't, I don't know. And I know this. I, I, I totally understand. It's, I sound like a commie. And it's 5.23. So everything I say in the 5 o'clock hour, my time, it's 5 o'clock. Everything I say in the 5 o'clock hour, I, I always will uh, reserve the right to take back because it's 5 a.m. Like, I was, I was t- a little sleepy when I said that. Right? I, I'm totally understand. What I, I, sound, I know what I sound like. There are limits to capitalism. Capitalism misses something. It misses whether or not this is a societal good. Is it economically prudent to outsource all of our antibiotic manufacturing to China? Like 98% of our antibiotics are made in China. Is that economically, on, on paper, a good idea? Yeah, I guess, probably. I don't know. Sure. Every pill is now 0.02 cents as opposed to 2 cents per pill. I, I don't know whatever it is. But is that wise? Capitalism says, do it, GDP. But uh, is that good, though? Is it a good idea? Capitalism doesn't have an answer for that. And that I understand that that uh, that really really crushes my conservative bona fides. I get it, but I don't know. This sounds sounds fishy. It just sounds like a bad idea. That's all I got. One eight six six nine five patriot. One eight six six nine five patriot. I have a clip here that I want to play of uh, of our president back in nineteen eighty seven. Excuse me, our former president Donald Trump, former and future. Uh, talking about Japan. So we'll play that in just a second. Let's go to one eight six six nine five patriot Let's go to Bruce, who's in Florida right now. Bruce, good morning, sir. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing today? Do- doing really good, but I'm a little frustrated that I can't quite articulate why my knee-jerk reaction is that this is a bad idea. Are, are you kind of with me on this? I'm the same way. I heard that about 552 on Fox and Friends first, and it just struck me. It's like, you got to be kidding me. U.S. Steel has been sold to Japan. I've been in the construction industry for all my life, and, um, you know, one of the impacts, you know, currently I'm trying to get beans for a job that's taken us four to six months to get them on site. So, number one, what does this do for supply chain being controlled by a Japanese company? But also going back to Obama's great uh, speeches about how the United States is going to become the third economic power in the world if he has his way. I just wonder if this is all feeding into it again. You know, my knee-jerk reaction was, "Oh my God!" You know, how are we gonna, how are we gonna survive this? How does we, you know, what does this do to our economic stature? Uh, you know, it's just, it's perplexing. It's perplexing, and you know, not only that, but also our ability for national security, as you know, World War II, and the impact the U.S. Steel had on our country. You know, I mean. The steel industry, the construction industry has got to be, you know, 15, 20 percent of our GDP overall. So it's just it's perplexing. Yeah, that's a good word for it for now. Yeah, Bruce, I appreciate the call. Thank you, brother. Thanks for thanks for articulating that. I'm glad I'm not alone. Now, though, here's the question, though. Is. Is my knee jerk against this? Is it just pride? Is it just. Oh, but it's an it's U.S. steel. 
Like, like if it was called, well, what was the other one called? Cleveland, Cleveland Cliffs. I've never heard of Cleveland Cliffs. <laughs> I've never heard of it. It's a big steel company. Cleveland Cliffs. Never heard of it. Uh, if it was Cleveland Cliffs bought by Japan, would I care as much? Let's see. When was Cleveland Cliffs bought uh, or, or made? Well, 1847. So it was 176 years <laughs> Cleveland Cliffs is even older than U.S. Steel. Good night. Jeez, I should know Cleveland Cliffs. Is there anyone listening now who works for Cleveland Cliffs? Oh, I love when that happens. Jeez, founded in 1847. I should have more pride even for Cleveland Cliffs. I apologize for being ignorant. But is that, do you know what I'm saying though? Is that what it is? Let's say it was uh, Bob Steelworkers, Bob Steel Mill. Would I care as much? Or is it because it's U.S. Steel? Am I, am I against this deal just because I lament that it just, it just feels like we're losing our country and this is a part of Is that why it is? Or, or is there a better economic reason to be against it? Or should I go back to my, my free market Cato Institute conservative principles here and say, no, it's a great idea. Money. Now, listen, it's better than China. Can we agree with that? It's better than China buying it. No question there. Uh, I remember, uh, oh, this, this was, we'll say this for another day because the phones are full. Uh, but years ago, California rebuilt the Oakland Bay Bridge. And I forget the exact numbers. It, the, the bridge was supposed to cost a billion dollars, and I think it cost $11 billion. It was like way off. Was it? And they did it with Chinese steel. And the bridge was falling down. Like, like huge problem. The the bridge, the steel was cracking. The welding didn't work. I remember there were all these uh, structural engineers who were like, "I'm never on. I'm never going to go on that bridge." You out of your mind? So there's there's China issues. So let's, we're not selling it to China. If, if we were selling it to China, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be here freaking out. That's a horrible idea. So does that change it a little bit? That there's oh well, I don't know. Just Japan. In a lot of ways, I wish we were more like Japan. So, I don't know. Maybe that's okay. Let's go to Ted, who's in Indiana this fine morning. How are you, Ted? Doing great this morning. Good morning to you. Hey, yeah, I, I, I just agree with what your last comment was. Yeah, I think I, I think I would trust Japan more than I would a lot of people here. But anyway, uh, yeah, we were uh, talking about a, more like a, a modern Republican is a more blue collar, but the old school Republican, in my mind, I'm, I'm 53 years old. And, uh, yeah, the bottom line is all that mattered. You know, the books, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I, I grew up 100% blue collar, uh, old dog Democrat, you know. And uh, I've, I've switched in the last 20 years how I vote because it's, it's just gotten out of control. And I, I feel like if we keep the uh, Republican Party a little more blue collar, stay focused on America first. I think our country could really turn around, but we have to stay focused and not let, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, like you were talking about, the the total greed aspect, keep the morals and values uh, intact to make this happen. Now, now, uh, now Ted, Cleveland Cliffs offered... Uh, I, I don't know the exact number. Let's say, let's say, let's see what it would have been. Uh, they offered nine billion dollars, and U.S. Steel, or excuse me, Japan, Japan Steel offered fourteen billion dollars. 
So if you were the head of U.S. Steel, would you have taken the $9 billion American company or the $14 billion Japan offer? Right. Oddly enough, being from Indiana, I have worked at Cleveland Cliffs nah, and uh, Gary, <laughs> I and I have worked at U.S. Steel and Gary. <laughs> love it. Yes, I work. I work industrial construction. So, yeah, uh, I can tell you that uh, Cleveland Cliffs uh, is is trying to expand recently. They during the Trump era, they seemingly were buying stuff up, so they were actually making money. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not an authority on this, but these were not making. They were just staying afloat for a very long time. And, uh, you know, yeah. they, they actually started making some money, and Cleveland Cliffs was, was investing in America and in in their company to try to expand. Yeah. So in that aspect, morally speaking, I would say, hey, let's keep it up. But as far as the Japanese goes, I've worked at, at Subaru. I've worked at Toyota. Uh, I, I like the people. I like the engineers. You know, I, I I like what, like you said a while ago, I like what, what the Japanese, how they run their ship. Yeah, no, no, no okay, that's good too. No, Ted, I appreciate the call. Thank you, brother. And I knew there's someone listening who worked for Cleveland Cliffs. I love it. Um, listen, I, um, uh, three months ago, I said, hey, everyone, I need to buy a car, truck. And uh, I think I want a truck, and I want something with like, I don't know, like 80,000 miles that'll get me another 100,000 miles. What do I get? And I got 1,000 emails. And nine out of ten of them said, you buy yourself a Toyota. You go right to the Toyota dealership, you get a Toyota. Which is interesting, right? You think that the Breitbart audience would be like, Ford! Ford! You traitor! How dare you consider anything else? So I went and got a Toyota. So it, it, that's interesting too, right? It's like, oh, but I like the Japanese. <laughs> so. Um, I see some more calls. I still got that Trump clip I want to play. And that would be a good moment to play it, but we'll, uh, I'd rather take calls. Uh, let's go to Angelo, who's in Pennsylvania. Are you in uh, eastern or western Pennsylvania, Angelo? Eastern Pennsylvania. I'm actually driving a truck, so I'm headed into West Virginia right now. Oh, nice. What, what do you got in the back? Hey, uh, oh, I got cardboard. <laughs> cardboard? Where are, you going? Where are you going with the cardboard? Oh, I'm going over to P&G, Procter & Gamble. So this is this is cardboard that is yet to be turned into boxes that you put things in. This is like before. Yeah, it's, it's used. already it's already boxes. It's already packaging. So they're empty boxes. Uh, oh, okay, so empty boxes, and you're bringing in the product yeah, and gamble. They're yeah. going to put shampoo in it or whatever. Yep, going to put all the products in it. Unbelievable. Yep. Crazy. Anyway, to, what do you think? I wanted of this? to comment on. I wanted to comment on. Uh, you know. I love your show, by the way. I started listening to you probably about a month ago, and I, I listen every morning. I, this whole thing ties into what you talked about before about how we don't have our children growing up. They don't have the same – they're not taught the same things nowadays in the environment they're in that we grew up. Like I grew up in, I grew up in Baltimore, and in Baltimore, you know, uh, there was a big plant, Bethlehem Steel, and a lot of guys that I grew up with, when they when they graduated high school, they wanted to go to work at Bethlehem Steel because it was a good pay, it was a good job. You learn how to operate cranes, you learn how to, you know, you'd start out low and you work your way up, good benefits. Yeah. But these kids now, they don't want to do that. 
they want to get on YouTube, they want to be a, 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 a internet star, they don't want to go to work and and do those kind of things, and that's part of it. And then you made another comment about the capitalism thing. There's never you're you're right on the money. It's nothing wrong with capitalism. It's the fact that you know, I mean, people can do anything with capitalism. It's all the intentions. Is it good or not? Like, you know, people make a billion dollars off the porno industry. It doesn't mean it's good yes, for you. Yes, yes, you know? great, great point. It's, it's all about what's in our soul and what would, you know, capitalism has good means, but you have to have good intentions, you know. Really I mean, oh, that's really that's that's the problem. So, yes. yeah, I love your show, man. Uh, I'll, I'll get off the air and let you comment on that, yeah. but I appreciate you. Uh, well done, You do a great thank job, you. and I love your show. Oh, Merry thank Christmas. you, brother. And to you, oh, Merry Christmas. Oh, Angela. Beautiful. Beautiful. Ends with a Merry Christmas. Um, well done, Angelo. Well done. Um, I love tying it in. Thanks for doing that. Um, I, so I've never heard of this uh, plant. I just Googled uh, Bethlehem Steel Baltimore and the first article from Bloomberg in, uh, in uh, what Bethlehem Steel meant to Baltimore. What it meant. And the, 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 you click the link. In Baltimore, visions of life after steel. Once employed 30,000 workers. And I'm I'm, bring, I'm coming back. There's this visions of conversations we had a couple months ago of the of uh, remember we talked about the factory as a a rite of passage, uh, um, as a rite of passage. I want to say um, breeding grounds not the right word. It's a rite of passage place that would turn boys into men. Whereas you said you start off. You don't have any skills. You work your way up. There's older men there showing you the ropes. There's the, the camaraderie and, and that occurs, uh, the growing that occurs uh, during lunch, lunch time, all this stuff, right? The whole, all, it's this whole community that turns boys into men, and that is lost. We are losing that, and there's a huge cost to that. I just want us to consider the cost of things. Everything is a cost. Thomas Sowell said there's no such thing as solutions, only trade-offs. Everything is a cost, and capitalism doesn't account for that. And I know like the like US Steel, the board has their shareholders and they gotta do what's best for the shareholders. I get it, I get it. But at a certain point, we are shareholders. It's our country. And capitalism doesn't account for the full cost of losing factories, for instance. Breitbart News Daily at 8 o'clock. We talked to Frances Martel, the Breitbart World Editor. She's amazing. And we did talk about U.S. Steel there as well. We talked about the new front at uh, of the, the Red Sea. So we talked all about the Red Sea and what we need to know there and how this is caused by Biden, of course, because he uh, said the Houthis in Yemen are no longer a terrorist organization. So they got a bunch of money, and they're using that money to buy drones and bombs to shoot off ships. So now it has to be this whole big military effort to protect the ships in the Red Sea when it never needed to be the case. So we talked with Francis all about that. Uh, but I want to play for you here our conversation with Dr. Thomas Williams about what the Pope did in regards to uh, blessings and stuff, policy. So I'm not Catholic, but uh, this is just a, one example of how this is a, a huge schism in the church about around America. All denominations are having this conversation, and many are choosing poorly. Here's Dr. Williams. 
just for the record, I'm not Catholic, but I'm, I'm interested in this because I think this is canary in the coal mine stuff. This uh, canary in the steel mill. That doesn't really work, does it? Thomas D. Williams, Dr. Williams, Breitbart News, Rome Bureau Chief. Thomas, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great to be on your show. Thank you. It's, uh, this is something, I think, or maybe it's nothing. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, and then as more I read, I was like, eh, maybe it's not even really a thing. Uh, what did the Pope do with same-sex unions? So, Mike, um, yeah, there's a lot of debate on this right now, whether it's a thing or a nothing burger, but it is a thing. Um, okay. And we're going to discuss why it really is a thing. Um, the the what, former CDF, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the uh, the highest doctrinal office in the Vatican, has published a declaration saying that blessings for same-sex couples and blessings for couples in irregular situations, in other words, adulterous situations or situations that are not um, a marriage uh, within the church, can receive blessings under certain circumstances. They have to be informal. They can't be within a liturgical setting, uh, etc. But this reverses a very important uh, document by the same congregation two years ago, which said that such blessings are impossible because God does not bless sin. Uh, and this is basically a reversal of that fundamental truth that God does not and cannot bless sin. So it is not a, this is not nothing. This is a big deal. And people within the LGBT uh, community and gay rights um, advocators and agitators are extremely excited about this. First and foremost, Father James Barton, a Jesuit priest who is a big pro-LGBT person, that's the, the basis of his pastoral work, he said, don't believe anyone who said this is no change. This is a massive change. It's a, he called it a huge step forward. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was talking to a Catholic friend of mine yesterday who's, who's pro-LGBT stuff, whatever, and uh, he was making the argument that, nah, 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 it's no big deal. Or whatever. But if, if the pro-gay married people think it's a big deal, <laughs> I suppose we should also uh, think it's a big deal. Um, can, can we give a little Catholic background here? What is a blessing? So a blessing is, is an invocation uh, for God to bless a person or a thing. In other words, if you bless a person or a meal, for example, people who say grace before meals, you're really asking God to bless the food, to make it, to make everything fit into his plan for the human beings that are partaking of it. It's meant to bring everything into line with glory to God and to his will. That is well, so, the purpose of a blessing. Oh, so what did uh, you say there's a big deal? God's, pardon so, me? So, sorry, you, you had a sentence there, which is a, a mind-shifting point. You're asking for this to fit into God's plan, which is very different than I think most people would consider it, which is, hey, God, hop on board with my plan. Well, uh, you're absolutely right about that. But at the same time, you are affirming the essential goodness of something and asking God to make it prosper. And that's the difference. So the congregation two years ago said any person, any person, no matter how sinful, no matter how bad, can ask for and receive a blessing because God always wills that person to prosper and be saved. So no matter who that person is, no matter what their life is like, no matter what a shambles they are, you can say, God, please bless this person and know that that fits in already with God's plan. He wants that person to prosper 
and to and to live according to his will. The problem becomes when you're blessing a situation or uh, an organization that is not in alignment and cannot be aligned to the will of God. And that's why the congregation drew the line two years ago and said, no, things that are in themselves inherently not in according to the according to the creator's plan cannot receive a blessing. The individual persons can, but you can't bless them as a couple because okay. you're asking God then to make something fit into his plan that cannot fit yes, because yes. it already is not ordered to what he wants for human beings. Okay, so what about the nuance? Uh, sorry of, if this gets to, no, no, sorry, please, this gets bring, a little theological maybe, but I think it's an important distinction. Bring the theology. This is why the media is doing such a horrible job reporting on this because no one dare go to the theological, but like what else are we doing here? Like this, this is the point. Um, so, so please bring it. So what, so what's the nuance here between like, Oh, we're only blessing people, not unions, not, not, we're not blessing the gay couple. We're blessing the gay person. What's that nuance? Are you okay with that? Oh yeah, I'm totally okay with that, but that's not what they're saying. Uh, that's the, the whole shift in this. And the whole reason that the LGBT community is euphoric about this, they're so excited is because, I'm going to read you a line from the introduction to this. It is precisely in this context that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing the church's perennial teaching on marriage. You are blessing them as a couple, not as you, Joe, and you, Sam. It's Joe and Sam. We're going to bless you. You come forward and ask for a blessing on your couple, on your relationship. Uh, and you're not, and you're doing it as a gay couple. You're doing it not as, you know, just two friends who happen to be visiting Rome or visiting a shrine and see a priest and say, could you bless just people? But you're saying we are, you present yourself as a gay couple, uh, which already is structurally in discord with the church's understanding of the fundamental good of human beings and what God's will is, the creator's will is for human beings. I, uh, that, that is the issue right here. I've been um, told on, and on it's good really authority. Please go ahead. Please go ahead. Um, it's a question of whether a gay couple is blessable. Uh, forgive the term. It, I'm sure it doesn't exist, but <laughs> whether something is blessable. So you can't bless something that is, you can't bless, for example, an altar in a satanic Right. You couldn't go in and say, this is a satanic altar or this is an image of Satan. Let's bless this object. It's unblessable because the object itself is already discordant with God's plan. It's already offensive to God. Yes. Right? Yes, um, right. Human beings are never offensive to God in themselves. You as a human being, God has nothing but love for human beings. A human being is eminently blessable. But a gay couple that presents itself as a gay couple, you're saying this structure, this situation uh, that I'm in. I want the situation blessed. I want God's blessing. I want God to bring prosperity and fruitfulness to this situation that I'm presenting to you. And that's something that the church until now has always said that is an unblessable situation because it's structurally sinful. It's something that you're presenting that is that is not already in accord with God's plan and asking God to make that thing be fruitful and to prosper. That, that's the whole issue right there, Mike. That is the whole Perfect. issue. It's not about a lack of mercy. It's not about uh, not wanting, you know, flourishing for every human being on the planet. It's saying, can we bless something that is in itself 
not in accord with God's plan. And th- that's the whole question. And that's why this is going to be, it, it's such a bombshell. And it's going to create huge, huge divisions in the church because it also offers to priests the discernment for them to decide when it's okay and when it's not. There's a line in the text that says there's going to be no further clarifications about this. It's going to be up to every priest to decide when this can and cannot be given. Oh, wow. Okay. So and people be, like uh, Father uh, James Martin are saying, oh, great. He, totally. said, he said, the difference is yesterday I could not bless a gay couple if they came for a blessing. Today I can. Oh, yeah. No, massive schism. This will be like the United Methodist Church. This will be like there will be massive that's, schisms. That's the fear. Yeah. No, that how could the there not be, right? There definitely be enough Catholic churches that— uh, that will will go this route because that's what I mean. There's a lot of denominations that are doing this now, right? So, so I, there's no reason why it wouldn't it, the split wouldn't also happen in the Catholic Church. Wow, that's amazing. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, the I, Declaration, Mike. Just to clarify, the Declaration bends over backwards to say this in no way changes the Church's teaching on marriage, and it says, but the fact that it allows the blessing of that thing—that's the real, that's the crux of the matter. It, it's well, not the question that the church has opened the door in any way to gay marriage, or saying that we are, you know, making this a moral equivalence between this and a gay marriage. It's not. That that is, that is fine. It's not doing that. In fact, it yeah. says it can't do the blessing in any way that could make it look like this is trying to be something equivalent to marriage. So, but the problem is not this. The problem is the relationship itself that is presented as a gay couple. Can that be blessed? That, yeah, it's okay. all really right there. Okay. So let's, uh, what about the couple that is, uh, or the, the person who's in a ongoing, unrepentant, adulterous relationship or not even adulterous. Uh, let's say the couple, uh, forget about adultery. Let's say the couple that is um, uh, living together, premarital sex, bef- you know, right. And they, they go, and, and can they get blessed as a couple uh, together? They, they can, but, you know, that's a much easier situation, too, for the simple reason that when, when a couple comes forward and asks for a blessing, if they're not married, you're blessing them as a couple that they may very well get married. You know what I'm saying? That a priest can look at you and say, all right, you're you're living as a couple uh, and I'm blessing you as a couple in the hope that you get your relationship into line, you know, with God's plan, because you are, this is ordered toward marriage. And this is something, um, it's different. That's different from an adulterous relationship where that can't be fixed. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's why it's different also from a gay couple, which can't be fixed. If you will, there's nothing that's going to make that relationship. Okay. Whereas if you've got a couple that happen to be sleeping together before they're married, they are still that can be fixed because that is ordained toward marriage, and they are probably thinking about you know a lifetime together. In, and and the church can give a blessing, you know, in the in the desire and the hope that this will conform itself to God's will by becoming, you know, a sacramental union. Yeah, right? Right. Um, but in the case of a gay couple, or an, or as you mentioned before, an adulterous relationship where that that cannot be made. Uh, conformable to God's plan. That's where the blessing becomes an anomaly. It becomes something that, why are you blessing something that can't go forward, that doesn't have an end in according, you know, according to the order of God's plan. Yes, that, well that's said. the real issue. No, 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 well said. Um, so the Church of England, just a couple of days ago, uh, blessed same-sex couples for the, for the first time. And, and as I mentioned, there's been tons of schisms throughout many different churches uh, on whether or not to do this. So what, I, I predict there'll also be another schism of of uh, people who are like 
no, we definitely can't do this. Like we have to leave the church because we are not, we don't want to be a part of this. So what, what's the future of, of this issue in the church, which by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, more than me has never been an issue in the church. Like is, is there in 2000 years of Christian debate, like in the year 800, was there a conversation about gay marriage was that, was that, or is this a totally new thing? This is totally new. You're absolutely correct. No, this is, this is, this is something which is unique. This has never happened uh, on, on this issue. There have been other things that have led people into schism where, you know, they, they fundamentally disagree. That even happened after the Second Vatican Council with questions on religious freedom and questions on, I mean, we are not going to get into that now. So there are other, obviously, motivations that have led people into schism. But this is already being debated now as we speak. There are articles out that I've already read that talk about coming schisms because people who will simply fundamentally not agree. And the fact that um, that some will be doing this and some won't be doing that. Uh, yes. um, again, I think a lot of priests will not have a problem with it, even if they fundamentally disagree, and they will not give the blessings themselves, and they're not being ordered to, right? Yes. This, this is left up to, this is left up to pastoral discernment. Where, so, you know, priests who are in line with what the church has always taught about this will simply say, "I'm not going to bless this," and they're and they're fine. They haven't been ordered to. They have been allowed to if they see it fit, see fit in a given situation. Yeah. Right. I, it's I, still. I, I don't mean I don't mean to keep putting words in your mouth. I apologize. I shouldn't be doing this. But when, when you're saying these things, I, I, I keep thinking and I, I say out loud yet. I just I, I'm a firm believer. in this. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, it's I'm a, a serious problem. Yeah, I, I, I'm a firm believer in the slippery slope. I think the slippery slope is <clears throat> undefeated. Um, yes. It's the, right. Yes. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Unless acted upon by an outside force, everything will eventually degrade. And um and, and we're heading in this direction. Am I, am I looking too much into it? No, no. Again, by saying that there are situations where a same-sex couple presented as a same-sex couple is blessable, you have fundamentally shifted the order of things, and that is a slippery slope. Because if you could do it in this situation, why wouldn't you do it in this other situation? Yeah, I mean, in the end, you... you can try to draw that line, but once you've cross the Rubicon, once you've said this is something that can be blessed, then the slippery slope, as you say, is inevitable. Yeah. Uh, because you've already fundamentally said you, you remove that barrier, that barrier which has existed, as you say, for over 2,000 years is suddenly lifted. That becomes a necessary slippery slope. That's amazing. I'm just looking here that 23% of Americans are Catholic. Is that right? What, what percent? Do you have any numbers off the top of your yes. head? Like how many Catholics yeah, no, that's are? Exactly right. 23% is correct. Yeah, what about the world? The world, there are about 1.3 billion, so it's about <laughs> it, it's more than 10 percent uh, of but the like, world. Are the Catholic. are the Catholics in the Philippines uh, having gay marriage debates? No, no. This is this is a Western problem. Uh, the Catholics in Africa, the Catholics by and large in Latin America, the Catholics in Asia by and large are not discussing this. It's not an issue. It's, a, it's, a, it's an issue in the United States. It's an issue in Canada. And it's an issue in Europe, particularly in the German-speaking countries. Wow, amazing. Uh, so it's been in Germany and Austria and Belgium. Uh, this has been hotly debated. In fact, there have been uh, same-sex blessings given in defiance of what the Vatican had said two years ago. In fact, and there's been a lot of actual public opposition to the Vatican position. And this, I, I can't help but, but look at this also as a caving to that kind of pressure. Uh, I, I, I see it as 
kind of a cowardly act at the same time, because I think Pope Francis, you know, wherever his heart is, he wants the church to look always as look to look merciful. And, uh, and sometimes I think he really confuses what that looks like. I mean, one of the seven spiritual works of mercy is admonishing the sinner, helping yes. people get in line with God's plan because you want them to be saved. And if you don't help them to see the error in their ways, you are actually hurting them. You're not being charitable. You're not being kind. You're not being merciful. And I think that, you know, any kind of an affirmation to a situation that is objectively evil, something that is objectively against God's plan, even if it's not, quote unquote, an official affirmation, no matter what, it's going to be taken as one. If you can go to before a priest and say, would you bless our, our union? Would you bless our couple? And he says, yes, that is an affirmation. That's I'm OK. You're OK. That's you're in you're in a good place. And we're asking for God's blessing on you. That cannot but be read as an affirmation of that situation, whether you intend it or not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, James three one says, "Not many of you should become teachers, for those yeah. who teach will be judged with greater strictness." I love that point about yeah. mercy. Like we have a very perverted form of mercy where it's, "Well, just do whatever, whatever feels good." Right? That's it. It's like whatever feels good to you. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So, you know, right. do, what, do right. what's right in your own eyes and uh, you'll be happy. And if you're happy, then I'm happy. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you, you will be judged. Like you should be way more concerned about someone's eternal soul than their feelings right here on earth. That's, uh, that that's is a real exact, problem. That, that's, again, that's the heart of the matter, Mike. You've just hit the nail on the head. You should be much more concerned about there. And the church always has been. It's always, that's been the role of the church is to look for the salvation of souls. It's not so much to look for their temporal well-being to make sure that they, you know, yes, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, do these things for people. But above all, what you're looking for is their eternal good. You want them to be happy forever, not just for a few minutes. And, and this is something where when someone is on a path that is objectively leading them away from God and not toward God, you have an obligation in charity and love and in mercy to help them gently, to gently nudge them back toward and sometimes with a good slap in the face, just to get them, you know, <laughs> yeah, to wake up sometimes. to the reality that they're not going in a good direction. Yeah, that's great. Sometimes not that gently as well, whatever it yeah. takes. Um, yeah. yeah, Thomas D. Williams, uh, Breitbart News Rome Bureau Chief. Thomas, thank you for clearing this up. I, I've read a couple articles in, um, uh, you know, the lamestream by people who clearly have never read the Bible and like don't, <laughs> like have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, and it shows. Uh, and, and they're trying to make sense of it and they clearly can't. Um, so thank you for clearing this up, sir. Well, Mike, uh, thank you for teeing it up as the important issue that it is. This is something that really needs to be fleshed out and discussed. And, you know, your listeners, this is this is important thing to know what's going on here. Yeah, wonderful. Thomas D. Williams, Breitbart News, of course. Uh, Thomas, thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Merry Christmas. T.D. Williams, Rome is on, on the Twitter. T.D. Williams, Rome. Um, again, I'm not Catholic, uh, but this is a debate going on in like all, all churches, really. It's just who, it's what, it, listen. Is the church going to become more like the world or is the world going to become, like that's, that's the question. Like, is the church going to be influenced by culture? And if so, you should not go to that church, quite frankly. But who am I to say? Uh, this is exactly, so when the gay marriage debate was going on over 10 years ago, I was not a Christian. So uh, I feel like I have a, perspective about this because like when rick santorum or whatever was like hey 
Uh, we can't have gay marriage. It's not Adam and Steve. We can't have gay marriage because if you do, then all types of relationships will, will, will you know, people will be in like quads and, and the gay couples will have kids. And, and uh, who knows? Maybe even men will think they're women and women will think they're men. And we were like, I remember as a not Christian, I was like, oh, Rick Santorum, you're crazy. And they were all right. <laughs> all the crazy Bible thumpers were right about all of it. And I remember a lot of the, the, the Christians who were against it were like, hey, this is going to infiltrate the church. You're going to have tr-, because that was the whole thing. It's like, oh, 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 it's just about making sure that gay couples can go to the hospital if someone gets in a car accident. And when we go, oh, and that's what it was about. It's like, no, 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 no. You're going to infiltrate the church because that's what you want to do more than anything. You were rebelling against God. And the best way to rebel against God is destroy the institution of marriage itself and to destroy the family and destroy uh, the proper way to raise children. That is your goal here. That's what the crazy Christians said. And I wasn't a Christian, and I said, those crazy Christians are out of their mind. Just let the gays get married. Or I took a much more, I took a much more clever approach before. Maybe we can talk about it next. I took a very clever third, third way. And boy, was I wrong, and those wacky Christians couldn't have been more right. So if you're not a Christian, totally fine. Uh, you're probably against drag queens twerking in front of children, though. And it's all part of the same thing. It's all the same. It's all part of our culture. It's all where we are. How do you think we got here? It's all part of it. And I'm not saying, hey, let me be clear. I'm not saying gay marriage caused it. Oh, someone's going to write, oh, Slater, gay marriage is different than uh, twerking in front of kids at uh, drag shows. Uh, sure, fine. It's all part of it. It's all part. I'm not saying one led to the other. I'm saying it is all one slide down. <laughs> are you with me? Gay marriage didn't cause the bad, you know, the further degradation side. It is just one swoosh down the water slide or whatever slippery slope you're imagining. And there was a big one that we could have stopped, but we didn't. And now because of tolerance, uh, it's infiltrated churches. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. On tomorrow's show, we're going to talk about how we have the smallest military we've had since 1940 when it comes to personnel. And it's not by choice. Talk about it tomorrow. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.